Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. And welcome back to the FBF Podcast. This is Matt Chatham, your host, and I'm joined today by uh, Brady Quinn and Ben Lieber, a couple guys doing a college football preview show for us today. Uh, We've been off the air here for about a month while we've all been on vacations. Now we're going to get rolling right back into it, and we're going to start off with sort of a a college football preview show. We're going to go through all the big big five conferences. We're going to start with the Big 12 Conference because both of these guys were down at Media Days at the Downtown Omni Hotel in Dallas uh, just a short week ago. So, guys, I'll start with you, Brady, just sort of your general uh, takeaways, your impressions of being down there and what's going on with the Big 12. You know, it's interesting to me, the way the Big 12 ended last year is is pretty much going to be the way I see this playing out this year. You know, I see TCU and Baylor by far away being the top two teams in the conference. You know, one of those two teams is going to be hoping that things don't turn out uh, this year how they did last year for them, where they don't have that conference championship game. They're named co-conference champions, and uh, they end up being, you know, left on the outside looking in. But, you know, they did make uh, some rule changes amongst the conference where, they did put in some tiebreakers uh, where head-to-head play now will be the overriding factor to determine the conference champion and then right. so on from there. So that won't be an issue. But uh, to me, TCU with Trevon Blake coming back, who's a legitimate Heisman contender at quarterback, and really Baylor, Seth, Seth Russell, the quarterback there, had some playing time last year, so showed some flashes of what he's capable to do in replace of Bryce Petty. You know, those are really the only two uh, solidified starters, I'd say, coming into this season where it doesn't, you know, it seems like everywhere else there's going to be some sort of uh, quarterback competition with the exception of probably Iowa State, who may be a sleeper and may be a team that uh, causes some some ruckus and some upsets this season. Well, I think everything uh, went pretty much according to plan. Uh, Commissioner Bowlesby, you know, said exactly what Brady was saying, that, you know, they they changed their, their motto from one true champion last year in which they, you know, got some – some egg in their face when they had a co-champion. So now they've kind of changed all that and they do have some tiebreakers. And if they would have went by the tiebreakers last year, Baylor would have went and been the, uh, the champion of the big 12 and possibly represent the big 12 in the college football playoff. But I think everybody's now excited that there are guidelines and rules in place for having a true champion in a, uh, in a 10 team league. Um, but you know, like like Brady's saying, this is a very top-heavy conference. It's it's TCU and Baylor, and then it's just everybody else kind of scrapping for three and four and on down the line. Uh, Oklahoma, they to me are probably the the sleeper team only because um, they can run the ball extremely well and they can stop the run. Now they got blew up last year on defense against the pass defense, and there still remains to be seen who's going to start at quarterback. But with, with P. Ryan and that offense running the football, you know, they they might be able to, like, I guess surprise some people because everybody's going, like just like T.C. runs a, a standard four two five alignment defensively, if everybody's going to be thinned out and playing the pass so much and getting lighter, quicker guys on the field, well, maybe they might be able to change it up and run some power football and control the clock and, 
might squeak away with some some big wins. So I still think it's going to be uh, – I actually think Baylor's going to come out on top. They have you know a tremendous offense just like TCU does, but TCU has lost so much on defense that I think Baylor – Finally, now they've recruited in the last two or three years for for more athletic defensive players, and and I think they're gonna, you know, they're gonna shine this year on defense finally, uh, and put it all together and win the Big Twelve. Hey Ben, to your point about Oklahoma, one of the things I thought was kind of interesting was um, Bob Stoops, old school guy, right? He likes to run the football, play good defense. Um, has finally made the change to bringing a guy, an offensive coordinator who is under the air raid system like Mike Leach named Lincoln Riley. Uh, yep. and so they're going to plan on spreading the football around, playing that you know more fast-paced, up-tempo offense. That's something similar to what Gary Patterson did last year as well, blocking his, his old ways and bringing in Doug Meacham and Sonny Cumbie. So it should be interesting to see how this Oklahoma offense adapts um, to this pass at the offense per se, especially when you've got some Ajay Pivine in the back in the backfield, along with Joe Mixon, depending upon what happens off the field. Uh, obviously, he's got into, into – uh, uh, some domestic violence issues, so we'll see if he's even going to be an option. But they've got a lot of talent back there, so I'll be curious to see, uh, you know, how much Coach Stoops allows Lake and Riley to really open up the passing game uh, for the Sooners. I think that is going to be the uh, the number one question there. Is not only is he going to start a quarterback, um, but how are they going to implement this air raid system, knowing that they have a bunch of, you know, beefy guys in the offensive line that just like to road grade people. And now you're going to ask them to pass set, you know, three-step, five-step drop, and then you've got P. Ryan and you know maybe Mixon, who what a what a disaster that's been PR-wise, and having him on the on the team still. But uh, you know they can run the football so well. So you, you've got something where this is what you do, and this is what you do better than basically anybody else in the Big Twelve. And now you're going to change up the whole philosophy. Uh, it is going to be really interesting how it plays out. Well, especially with Pirine having basically the sort of one-up performance of the year last year when Melvin Gordon goes right. out and blows the top on anything you've ever seen, and then this guy whose name we can't pronounce the next week kind of upstages him a bit. So, yeah, that, that's that's definitely, uh, I think, one of the sort of the more compelling things. It's like, you do this so well, but it isn't one of the conference, so do you just sort of tra- change your MO to, to be like everyone else? And I understand sort of the pull. Uh, just to give listeners sort of a little context here as we roll through this, uh, the media polls come out each year. We know these as players. The thing that always sticks out in my head is, is I do college games for ESPN up in the Northeast, and both you guys do uh, games for Fox. Uh, Brady doing the Pac-12 and Big 12. Uh, ben doing the Big 12 and Conference USA. We get a lot of these sort of high-scoring crazy games. I do a lot of Mac games where <laughs> God knows what the score is going to be at the end of it. Uh, but when we come into these preseason polls, a lot of it's predicated on who's left. In other words, how many returning starters. And that's usually sort of one of the main metrics people point to when they're trying to figure out who's going to do what. And then who's got the returning quarterback, which I think is a lot of what what we've just spoken about. But um, as I looked down this preseason poll as they came out, it was much as Brady sort of said. I mean, it was it was a blow away. Uh, TCU taking 408 votes off the top of this preseason poll, and well, Baylor right at the right at the back. 
But after that, just a huge drop off, which is just so bizarre as a kid like myself growing up with a big eight and, you know, thinking about the Texases and Oklahoma's of the world. And Ben, you played at Kansas State and just sort of understanding the history of that conference. And all of a sudden, the tide has sort of changed. And it's, it's sort of a weird situation. It's just under, you know, the has the guys that used to always have it down there to situation like that. You're walking the room and all of a sudden T, TCU is royalty, <laughs> you know, not not Oklahoma and UT which is bizarre. I was going to run this by fans here as well. Uh, it's something that I, we always use sort of a metric when I worked at the Big Ten. It was one of the very first things that they looked to because recruiting was, was such a vital part as to what's going to happen a year or two or three from now. I thought it was kind of interesting to look at rivals is, is sort of one of the outlets. There are many that you can go to that sort of do the rankings and you know how, how good teams are going to do based on the young talent they have coming through the pipeline. Big 12, uh, surprisingly, as I go down this list, uh, not very well represented, which is really bizarre. Uh, you got to get all the way down to Texas A&M, which I know is no longer a Big 12 team until you start seeing some of these traditionals and sort of that that big Texas, Oklahoma market. Texas is the highest ranked Big 12 team as far as recruiting in the last year at 12, which is crazy in, in my head. I mean, again, it's just sort of this new college football landscape. You got OU at 14, and then I think you'd drop down out of the top 25 before you start hitting on any of these. So all those kids that would traditionally go to TCU or go to Baylor, those are sometimes the kids that didn't get into UT or Oklahoma. And now those are the teams that are sort of competing for national championships and UT and Oklahoma are sort of next tier. So quite a, quite a different development. I mean, I'm curious from your guys' point of view, when you're down there, does UT and Oklahoma and so the Boomer Sooner and that whole thing, they still have the cachet in the room or has the feel kind of changed with the Baylors and TCUs of the world kind of running the party? To me, you know, I still feel like each of those schools, when you're talking about UT and Oklahoma, they still have that cachet. They still have that, you know, following kind of hype around them, in particular to the media. Uh, I think just with the tradition there and the history of both programs, you know, the media is always going to continue to write about them, uh, good or bad. I think you look at Texas in particular, they right. seem to be a team that, you know, Charlie Strong wanted to bring in uh, the certain type of culture. He had to, you know, kick a lot of guys off the team who he felt like really didn't fit the mold and really weren't on, uh, I guess, you know, his his game plan to how he wanted them, them to conduct themselves on the field and off the field. And then you look at Oklahoma with Bob Stoops. I mean, it's just crazy to see how, you know, a year ago, uh, they just won the Sugar Bowl. Trevor Knight was the MVP. And then you come into last season, and things just never really seemed to click for them. And now, all of a sudden, they're on the outside looking in at Baylor and TCU with a lot of ground to catch up. And I, and I think part of that is you're talking about recruiting. It's the style of football that the Big 12 Conference is playing now where they can recruit some slot wide receivers and some wide receivers, maybe even a quarterback who likes to throw the football around. But defensively, it's really hard to convince a, a, a great linebacker to want to go to any Big 12 school because, for the most part, you're going to be you know, playing pass defense. I mean, Ben, who would want to sit there and be in pass coverage all the time? And besides really a defensive end maybe who can rush the passer every snap and have a ton of sacks, you know, it doesn't seem like it's a great spot for a defensive tackle. Uh, then you go to the safeties and cornerbacks. There's one of two ways of looking at it, fellas. Either you want to have them throwing the football every time, so it gives you that opportunity to have a bunch of picks. You know, Justin Verrett, the cornerback for TCU, was a I think a first round draft pick in, in, in two you know two years ago's draft. He was a guy who really loved that style of play and having an opportunity every every play to get the ball thrown towards him or not towards him. But either way, he knew he'd, he'd have his opportunities. Uh, so it's just really hard, I think, to recruit those top of the line talented guys who 
either A, don't feel like their the scheme and the program uh, translates to the NFL game, or B, it's just not their style of play. They don't feel like they're really developing their that football IQ when they go, want to go to the next level. Well, I think you're, you're starting to see this huge shift in not only what's going on in the Big 12 because of the volatility with uh, you know Nebraska leaving, Colorado leaving, A&M, and, and Missouri, um, everything I think is, was kind of up in the air about what was going to happen with that conference. So I think there was a year where a lot of, a lot of recruits, if it came down to a Big 12 team, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go there. Uh, you see right. Oklahoma, I think, is now starting to uh, have an aging head coach that at times kind of wears on a lot of uh, the, the organization, some of the media. Uh, Mike Stoops is kind of an arrogant guy. And, you know, he can be hard to deal with, especially if they're not winning. And now you have this, this group, this alumni base, and the boosters, they are getting antsy. You know, you used to think that, you know, he's got a job for life as long as he just keeps winning, you know, 10 games a year. But I think they're starting to fall out of favor with him. So they're kind of losing a little bit. Nobody really needs knows, knows what to make of, of Charlie Strong yet. There's a lot within that alumni base and big-time boosters that still aren't happy about that hire, although I think he's a great hire. I just don't know if he's going to get a fair shake at Texas. And I think really the biggest thing is A&M. A&M going to, to the SEC, that has taken a lot of recruits out of Texas. And then you have at this the same time that we've had this volatility with conference realignment, you have Old Miss that's stepping up. You have Mississippi State that's stepping up. LSU has always been there to pluck some, some big-time Texas talent and out of Oklahoma. So you have those teams right there on, on the edge of the Big 12 that's scooping up these players. And then you have teams like Oregon. You know, Oregon is doing a tremendous job of getting guys from Texas, Florida, some, some of the kids in the Midwest. We had a kid out of Minneapolis get taken out of uh, and going to Oregon. So they've, their reach is not just on the West Coast, but they're getting all across the country. And because they're Oregon and because they have all that national recognition, that brand recognition that everybody loves, kids want to go there. And, and so now what you used to think of, of this powerhouse with, you know, Texas, A&M, Oklahoma, um, all these teams are getting plucked now. The players are getting plucked now to go to other conferences. And the Big 12 is starting to feel it. You know, I, I don't know if it's – I think everybody's having a hard time finding defensive players. I mean, that's just where everything is so offense-driven. If you find the best athletes in high school, you put them on offense. We're going to spread you out. We're going to find a window to get you the football. You make a guy miss, and, and now you've got a, a big play and a splashy play. Uh, it's hard to find guys that want to play defense anymore because there's just not time to pass rush. There's nobody wants to run the football anymore. Uh, linebackers are becoming, you know, pseudo strong safeties. So there's this weird shift going on. And, and I think all of football with how we look at defensive players and how they fit in any scheme. So um, I think it's the, the softness of the big 12 has more to do with the, the volatility of conference realignment and, these uh, these other teams that are right there on the board of the Big 12 stealing all their players. Ben, uh, I'm I'm curious with this because you, you really set the table for the smaller linebacker, right? The guy that potentially could be in coverage each and every down. The kid that's essentially sort of a a, a blown up safety, right? That's that's down in the right. box. This is sort of more soft stuff, but uh, you guys are familiar, and I think Brady actually wrote about this for FootballByFootball.com uh, about a guy Laquan McCowan. The tight end yeah. from Baylor, it's six seven, four hundred and three pounds. 
uh, this is just more of an oddity, just I'm, some more of a curiosity of mine when I saw that. And you know, we got to see a little bit of him last year in the Cotton Bowl, catch a touchdown pass. He, the kid's now a senior. He's been big for a while. Uh, but our Browse came out and said he's going to keep him at tight end. I guess for me, you know, as you set the table that way, and I'm thinking about you got all these tiny linebackers on the field now. You have guys that are lining up on the edges basically with a thought that I'm rushing, 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 rushing each down. And now you got a 400-pound dude at tight end. Uh, it's it's kind of funny to me, and I, I know you were an outside linebacker also, Ben. This notion of of lining up sort of in a nine technique across from a four hundred pound guy, I'm like, what in God's name <laughs> might it do right now? Uh, it's just kind of a funny sight. Well, yeah, I, I, dude, I was I was shaking my pants sometimes when I go against Algy Crumpler, and he was like what two sixty, two seventy at the most, and he was a big right. dude. Uh, right. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine being in, in a nine technique and you know trying to hat in hands a four hundred pounder that is you know, by <laughs> right. all counts, you know, pretty athletic. And if and uh, you know if you don't get a good hit on him, you know you might just bounce off and he's just going to keep running. So um, yeah, he's a he's a fun story. I actually <laughs> this is kind of crazy. When I was checking for uh, Big Twelve Media Days in Dallas, uh, the lady at Hertz. She saw that Fox had booked the the rental car and whatever, and she said, you know, I suppose you're here for Big 12. She's like, yeah. She's like, you know, my family was the family. If I get this right, I think they were the foster family or something like that of of McCown and McGown. And so she, like, gave me some insight, like, oh, we're just so excited for him. And, you know, he's just the biggest teddy bear in the world. And, you know, we were, we were shocked that he was even playing football because he just didn't want to hurt anybody. And. Um, he's always got this big, this big smile on his face. And, and then they moved him over to offense and we see him, see him scoring these touchdowns. And she's like, it's just so fun to see him dance around. I'm like, everybody loves the big man dancing, but, um, yeah, so it was, it was kind of fun to get a little bit of insight in his personality. And I think that, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm guessing this kind of holds true in your guys' experience. I feel like the bigger the guy, the, the more of a teddy bear he is and more lovable he is. So I think getting, just getting the, a chance to light a fire into this kid and have him play tight end is, has been quite a feat, I think, for Art Riles. But I think they found something there now in a senior year. The tight end uh, for the Bills that's now the left tackle for the Eagles. Peters? Uh, why can't I think? Yeah, Jason Peters. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, when Peters okay. came in the league, he came in, and I, I want to say we, he, we had a full two seasons with that guy as a tight end before he ever moved over to tackle before they sort of made the transition. And, you know, obviously yep. there was a team in our division and you'd have to play this guy over and over again. Like, why God's name is this guy playing a tight end? I'm going to throw him the ball. He's bigger than the tackle next to him. <laughs> He's athletic than <laughs> all three of us. <laughs> More yeah. So it's like, what are they going to make this move? This is insane. But, uh, yeah, big guy at the edge in a game where – yeah, with the Bryce Petty offense, it's not like well, and I go and I know he's gone now, but it's not a team that really threatens the edge a ton. You know, it's not a mobile quarterback kind of thing. They spread you, they use the space. Be interested to see if they do try to use them a little bit more. Uh, fun to watch for this throughout the season. Let me uh, let me transition here a little bit, and I'm going to go back to Brady. Uh, you, we did touch a little bit on the Iowa State thing, is them being one of the potential sleepers. As, uh, you know, full admission here, uh, as a guy growing up in Iowa, I was a big Iowa Hawkeye fan. I think pretty much every year of my life, uh, Iowa State was mentioned in an offseason media guide as a sleeper. <laughs> and I think one <laughs> yep. in like 50 years, it actually happens. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're perpetually that team who we expect to be at the bottom half. 
and they'll they'll pick off one or two teams a year, and that'll sort of be the calling card for the next season, and then that'll be the rationale for why they'll be the sleeper the next year too. Um, so again, that's just my own sort of cynicism about that team. But one of the teams I wanted to ask you guys about um, that was actually getting some play, and Brady, you, you wrote about this with Mike Gundy with Oklahoma State talking about this team as, let me get his exact quote here, uh, that it was he's as excited for this football team as any he's had while at Oklahoma State. Is that just talk? Uh, you know, it's a seven and six season for the team a year ago. Uh, although they have that one metric that people seem to like when we're doing these predictions, he's got 16 starters coming back. Uh, what are your two guys feeling on Oklahoma State? Is this sort of a team on the rise or is this just talk? I think it's a team on the rise and a team that can be, you know, fairly competitive in the Big 12. I don't know if they have the overall talent to really compete uh, with the likes of TCU and Baylor, but. You know, the talk down at media day really was all about Mason Rudolph. You know, they haven't necessarily given the job to one particular quarterback. Um, you know, J.W. Walsh is back as well. But you're talking about a team who really saw Dax Garman play last season, J.W. Walsh play, and Mason Rudolph play. They actually had a, um, end up having to burn his red shirt. But, but look, I mean, this is, this is a guy, again, who's going to be uh, pretty capable of doing some pretty prolific things in Coach Gundy's offense. He's pretty, he's, you know, for the most part, pretty accurate for a young guy. Uh, in, in this system, I think they've got a lot of talent out around him. Um, you know, Rennie Walsh is coming back at running back, and, and Brandon Shepard's looking to be one of his go-to targets along with James Washington. So they look to be pretty effective there. And then on the, the defensive side of the football, defensive end Emmanuel Ogba, you know, he's really one of the standout guys who has the opportunity to uh, maybe be the best defensive lineman, the highest draft pick since a guy like Kevin Williams, who I'm sure, Ben, you know well, being a a Minnesota guy, and then a cornerback, Kevin Peterson, he's another guy who I think can be that lockdown corner that can shut down some of, um, you know, the, the Katie Cannon or, or whoever else for Baylor or TCU, that Josh Dotson's, whoever else is their go-to guy on some of these teams. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little weary on if it's just coach speak or not. If I, if I can recall right, I think they lost a lot of production on offense, even though I think um, Mason Rudolph is, is who I think everybody's wanting to start is going to start, and he sounds like he's he could be one of the best in the Big 12 as long as he finds capable big big play targets. Right now they have a, a bunch of just kind of possession-type receivers. They're not real deep at receiver. Um, so that's the big question mark come, going into their camp uh, come up here in a couple of weeks is who's going to step up and be the big play guy? And if they don't find that on offense, then it it can't all just be about Mason. I mean, he's got to distribute the ball to somebody that makes some plays. Uh, defensively, it sounds like, yeah, they're, they're ready to make the next step. Um, but kind of like Oklahoma, if they, if they can't find, you know, some production and somebody to score some points, you know, not every game is going to be a, a grind out, you know, it's kind of run the football clock management. You know, you can maybe get away with that a little bit in the big 12, but um you know, by and large, their defense is going to have to play solid throughout the year until their offense can pick it up. So, Ben, I'd, I'd be remiss if we if we moved on here, didn't at least touch on Kansas State, and we'll obviously allow you the, the opportunity to be as politically correct as possible. You know, you don't have to make any predictions or anything like that. But they, they were a team that uh, late in the season last year, a lot of us were sort of circling and banking on, on them as a team that might be able to pick off Baylor, might be able to pick off TCU as it sort of wound down and we were trying to look them into the playoffs. They've lost a ton of offensive production, uh, very speculative on a lot of the positions, wide receiver and quarterback. Uh, what sort of review of what's going on down there in Manhattan? 
Uh, I think this is about as nervous as they have been in a long time. And and you kind of say that basically every year because there's a few guys that they, they miss here and there, and you just never know who Snyder's got or how he's going to work his magic or what's going to happen. Um, this is the lightest year that they've ever recruited for, for junior college transfers, so that's been the the marquee of our whole program is you, you get some, you know, corn-fed guys around the Midwest to, to join the team, and then you go out to the JUCOs and get your skill position players. And, you know, he had, he only got two from this last class. So he went real heavy on uh, on the high school kids, which is great, but right now there's there's nothing short-term. Uh, Joe Hubner is a quarterback that never started in high school. He was a receiver, uh, played a little bit at quarterback, walked on. It's a great walk-on program, but I just don't think you want to leave the program in the hands of a guy that's never started at any level. Uh, Jesse Ertz sounds like he probably is going to start, and then they have this kid, Jonathan Banks, who they got uh, one of the Juco kids they got late in the spring, actually, um, out of California. And they said that if he can pick everything up, which is going to be a pretty impressive feat if he can go into training camp and pick up this offense. If if they can lead this offense, he's you know one of these dual threat guys that set all these records in junior college. You know they could possibly have a pulse, but if it's Ertz, um, then they got to find a receiver, and that's where I heard that that Jonathan Banks may move out to receiver because he is so athletic. So you might have a guy there, but again, these are all just question marks and speculation. Most of your offense returns an offensive line. That's great, but even your returning running backs, they, they didn't have much of a running game. So huge, huge question marks on how they're going to score points this year. And then defensively, uh, most of their experience is on the front line. And then in their secondary, they, re, they have to replace all their linebackers. And, you know, that has just been a team, you know, traditionally, and, and I'll even put myself out there, we weren't the most athletic on defense. You know, we we got by with, you know, just kind of outworking guys, out hustling people. But when you go into these spread offenses and you've got to thin your defense out, you know, playing in space was not our strongest suit. And sometimes we get away with it. And, but I think for the most part, it catches up to us. And then with only, what, six guys returning, three on defensive line, three in the back end, I, I think that there's just too much to replace. There's not enough athleticism. And everybody I've talked to back there, they're just really, really nervous about this season. They're, they're hoping that they can get by the non-conference with, uh, with law tech going in there for the third game. They're, they're looking at that game that that might be a potential game. They're going to lose. And UTA UTSA is another non-conference uh, game on that schedule. There's no pushover. You know, Larry Coker um, has done a nice job down there really bringing a program, uh, up from nothing and getting just a ton of talent out of the state of Texas to, to play well for them. And they run more of that, um, you know, three, three, five type scheme and, and mix up a lot of different blitzes on the defensive side of the football. So um, that won't be an easy game either as they, you know, have to go down and play UTSA away and then they'll come back home for a lot of tech. So two, you know, what should be gimme non-conference games for, for KSU next year. I, I don't know. Those, those will be tough early. Real quick, Brady, I'd be remiss if we, we ended the show and didn't at least touch on uh, my old teammate uh, and a guy you know a little bit, uh, Cliff Kingsbury down at Texas Tech. You know, Cliffy was one of the biggest stories in college football a couple years ago. They've had a couple average, not bad years, but some years where they sort of went over that hump. Uh, where do you see uh, Cliff's guys, uh, where are the Red Raiders going to be at this season? Texas Tech is another team that I really think could surprise a lot of people but they've got to get better production. 
really on both sides of the football, in particular in the, with the turnover margin. The quarterbacks got to make better decisions, whether that's either you know Patrick Mahomes, which seems to be a lot of the buzz, at least you know down at media, that was a lot of people were talking about, or Davis Webb. I mean, the two completely different styles of quarterbacks. Davis Webb is more your prototypical spread offense quarterback. He wants to you know spit the ball around the field, not mobile by any means. And Patrick Mahomes is more of a runner that's very capable of throwing as well and had built up some momentum until he was knocked out of the game playing Texas uh, last season. So it'll be interesting to see who they give the nod to there. But, I mean, again, when you look at this team, they really returned 17 starters on both sides of the football. They've got a ton of you know, got young guys who got experience last year who went through those bumps and bruises. Uh, the biggest question mark is whether or not they can adjust to the <coughs> 4-3 scheme, which will essentially be – you know, a nickel scheme, a nickel four three, um, right. but, they, but they've got some guys they're excited about as well. You know, Michael All, um, you know, he's going to be a middle linebacker. They're, they're excited about you know what he's going to be able to do, and he had a nice, nice spring football season. And Mike Mitchell, the transfer from Ohio State, had some uh, had a sickness in the family, ended up leaving Columbus, Ohio, to go back down home, and and felt it was in his best interest to go to Texas Tech to be closer to his family. They're really excited about his pass rushing ability as well. So. Uh, it should be interesting to see if they can take some of that youth and mold them, but they've, they've got to you know, reduce the amount of turnovers from the quarterback position in particular. And, and their defense really has to come up with more. They really weren't very opportunistic when they had the chance uh, last season uh, throughout the Big 12 play. Well, all my biases out on the table, I think, uh, in a league like that of the Big 12 with so many sort of legacy programs like your big, like your Texas's and your Oklahoma, Texas Tech felt a couple of years ago like they were making that turn where they would be where I think TCU sits now. You know, a well-funded program, a team that was sort of plucking talent that you didn't expect to, the young up-and-coming head coach in Cliffy, and now it's sort of at a teeter. I mean, there's there's still going to be a competitive team, but, uh, you know, again, biases on the table. I'd love to see them make that jump. Uh, since this is a player show, I wanted to wrap with one final thing with the two of you guys, knowing that both of you guys work in this conference, and, and you in particular, Ben, actually played in this conference. We're trying to give a player's you know, sort of perspective here, some inside stuff that guys don't get typically uh, when, you're, when you're sort of doing these kind of radio shows and doing these kind of programs. What is sort of one of those insider experiences? I know the venues in the Big 12 are, have some pretty unique, pretty unique places, some cool things. Well, you know, the, the, from a player experience, the two, the two best places to play left and jump ship. Uh, going to Lincoln, Nebraska, <laughs> right. you know, going to Lincoln, Nebraska was, you know, it was, it was such a kind of an honor to go there. Uh, very much like kind of like I was visiting locker rooms. They, and I think a lot of the big 10, it was crap. I mean, it was military style bathrooms. So you're going to the bathroom next to, you know, your offensive line coach and you're basically just high-fiving each other. It's just, it's just, it's the weirdest, it's the weirdest pregame uh, ritual and preparation. Uh, but then, to, you know, to get our butts kicked there, you walk off the field and everybody's just like, hey, good job, guys. The fans are just high-fiving you. And they just think you're the best thing in the world and they're so nice. And, you, you know, you just, you just want to tell them to go to hell, basically. But they're just being so nice, you can't say anything. Uh, Texas A&M, one of the best college experiences ever. Um, you know, now with, I think what they, I think they're the largest stadium in the SEC now, but, uh, at the time it was like 80 some thousand when we played there and with the no cheerleaders and everybody going to cheer school, the whole crowd doing the same chant and the whole place, you know, waving back and forth. It was just mesmerizing. It was such a, a cool experience, but I would say the thing that tops everything is 
anytime we got to play Texas, at least when I was at Kansas State, we beat the pants off of them. And, you know, they, they had the great running game with Ricky Williams, and they were always – you know, they were the Texas that everybody thought Texas was. I mean, they had the best recruits, five-star guys across the whole board on both sides of the football. And then, you know, here we are as this, uh, you know, this blue-collar team in Kansas State. And whether we're playing at Austin, we play them at home, you know, we beat them. And that was just, a, you know, one of those great kind of fun underdog story games that, that we just relished that nobody ever gave us a chance uh, with these country club kids, and we and we beat the crap out of them. Yeah, you know, I, I had the opportunity to do the uh, Oklahoma State Iowa State game last season, and and I remember being in Boone Pickens Stadium there, and and just seeing the crowd, seeing the student section. I mean, they are right up on top of you. I mean, Ben, I don't know if that facility was built back when you played. Not not trying to date you too much or say you're too old, but um, <laughs> I, I don't know if you remember it being like that. But just from a no, it was it was on top of you, but we didn't have the brand new stadium. But they kept they kept that that field level, I think all the same. So that they, they were, it was kind of like Colorado too. There was about 10 feet of sidelines and that's about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it didn't even seem like it was that much. I mean, you had these rowdy fans with these things there, you know, they're obviously there's padding around in case the players, you know, run out of, run out of bounds and are hitting this wall because the wall's that close. So there's padding there, but the student section, they sit there and they just slam these like sticks against it. So all you hear is this like, Almost like it's like this war cry, and it's like beat that's going on the entire game. So that was that was pretty neat. And then, look, when you're in the Big 12, you're gonna have the opportunity to play uh, some games at AT&T Stadium there in Dallas. Uh, I had the opportunity to play there in the NFL, and I think that experience in itself is is pretty neat. One of the best you know sports venues out there. It's a little bit you know corporate, a little bit sterile with everything they have going on. But in saying that, it's still pretty neat that you know it doesn't matter which team it is. There's usually a few games a season that. Are, are able to be played there. And I think that's a, a pretty neat thing for a, a college player getting to play where the, the likes of the Dallas Cowboys get to play. Real short, quick answer, guys, on the way out. Uh, does the Big 12 have a chance any better than a year ago to get a team in that playoff, or are they still the fifth conference in a group of five? Ben, I'll start with you. I think they do. I think now that they have the uh, a, a true champion format, uh, yes, they do. And, and I think there is going to be a little bit of if if it comes down to it, I think it's just human nature that if they're right on the on on the fence, they're going to allow them to get in this year because um, they they want to keep the structure the way it is, and you know they're just me the team that the conference that people feel bad for if it comes down to that. Now I do think that <laughs> if Baylor does run the table, that they legitimately will be there. But if if it comes down to a close decision between them and let's say a Pac-12 team, I think uh, they'll get in this year. You know, I'm going to call my shot now. I think the ACC is the conference that gets left out for this reason. The, the teams that right now look to be the preseason favorites, and we all know that this could change over the course of the year, but you're talking about, you know, Clemson, maybe Florida State, depending on what happens with quarterback, uh, and then Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech could be a team that could, could easily win the ACC. I just don't see, see them being to the caliber of uh, neither Baylor or TCU. I think with the you know, restructured format, we'll be able to have their one true champion. That'll help. But more than that, uh, I just don't think there's going to be an ACC champion that really compares to either you know TCU or Baylor unless something drastic or, or ridiculous happens in the Big 12, and neither of those teams really come out uh, undefeated or with with one loss that you know what was a close loss or a tight loss that puts them in. I, I don't necessarily know that it matters so much that you know they were left out last year. Um, you know the, the the officials for the college football playoff talked about 
um, that 13th game being a factor. But they also mentioned that, look, it's a risk. Had Florida State, had Ohio State each loss as the 4-3 and three seed in the college football playoff last season, both TCU and Baylor would have been in. And we would have been talking about two Big 12 teams being in and, then, and no Big 10, uh, no ACC. So we'll see how the conference championship games play out this year, and we'll see if some of those teams that, that are, were able to use it last year as the benefit, if it ends up hurting them this year trying to get in the playoff. And oddly enough, uh, you know, back referencing sort of those rivals recruiting rankings, and again, don't just take that with a grain of salt, make it a – a salt lake, but uh, both Florida State and Clemson with top five classes. Oddly enough, Clemson sort of holding court out there in the in the southeast, where I don't think they get plucked nearly as much as as the Texas kids are from really all over the country. Not a thing you saw when when I was a kid growing up, for sure. Uh, thanks, guys. You did an awesome job today. Awesome stuff. Uh, that's all we got for this show. So thanks so much for listening to the Football by Football podcast. As always, the FBF podcast can be found for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the TuneIn Radio app. For daily insightful stuff from these guys and others, make sure to check out the footballbyfootball.com Facebook page and give us a follow on Twitter at FB by FB. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.